Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, April 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state's newest commissioner of agriculture and commerce takes his rain, takes the reins. We'll hear from Andy Gibson on his new post. Then find out how a group of Mississippi teens are honoring the legacy of Martin Luther King 50 years later. And after a conversation from the Mississippi stop on the StoryCorps mobile tour, we'll hear from the Better Business Bureau on the scam you can avoid this tax season. I've received at least over a dozen calls in the last two weeks is people calling, saying they're part of the IRS, telling me they're going to put me in jail and there was a problem with my return, and they're asking me personal uh, information. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's new agriculture commissioner is hitting the soil, running with a list of activities he's already planned. Commissioner Andy Gibson took the oath of office to become the state's eighth commissioner of agriculture and commerce. I, J. Andrew Gibson, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear, that I will faithfully support, that I will faithfully support, the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of the United States, and the Constitution of the State of Mississippi, and the Constitution of the State of Mississippi, and obey the laws thereof, and obey the laws thereof, that I'm not disqualified, that I'm not disqualified, from holding the office of, from holding the office of, Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce, Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce, of the State of Mississippi, of the State of Mississippi, so help me God. So help me, God. Congratulations. Gibson addressed an audience of family, friends, and state officials after officially taking the oath of office. The former state representative from Braxton succeeds fellow Republican Cindy Hyde-Smith, who has been appointed to the U.S. Senate. He says he enjoyed his time in the legislature and is happy to move forward. I am excited about it. This is, uh, like I said the other day, it's right up my alley. I mean, this is... I live on a farm, my wife and I, family, we have always enjoyed agriculture and uh, animals, and it's something we can do as a family, and I'm not in the legislature anymore. What a wonderful thing. I've enjoyed my 12 years over there. Uh, after that long, it becomes difficult, you know, it's, it's a, and I appreciate everybody who's over there, the sacrifices that are made, fighting every day on these issues, and I hope people can get on the same page and get some things done, yeah. Gibson is an attorney, farmer, and Baptist pastor. He says Mississippi's diversity has been a problem in the past, but he believes God has designed that diversity for blessing, not for cursing. Gibson says he's determined to support and unify farmers of all backgrounds in Mississippi. He's announcing a statewide tour of small and large farms. We're going to go travel around the state of Mississippi. I'm going to get up in my pickup truck with my family, my wife and children, whoever wants to go on a trip. We're going to travel to every corner of the state, probably over a 12 to 15-week period this summer during the growing season as we see agriculture in work, in process, and then we're going to assemble the facts that we find, and we're going to come back and talk about exports and trade issues and also issues that we have to deal with in Washington, D.C., where there are sometimes regulations that hold us back. And so we'll be working on that to roll back burdensome regulations and expanding opportunities for the economic growth 
of agriculture in this state. And how important is that to you? It's really important. It's the largest sector of our economy. It's the biggest part of Mississippi's economy. So we ought to all be able to agree on this and get in the same direction, pull in the same way. According to the Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce, soybeans are a billion-dollar business in the state and the third-highest agricultural crop behind poultry and forestry. A possible U.S. trade war with China could pose immediate risks to shipments of soybeans from Mississippi farmers. The impact is unknown at this point, but Gibson says it's on his radar. I have concerns. I want to become very uh, educated on that issue. I want to become very up-to-date on what is happening. I saw the news in China. Uh, I'm concerned, of course, of anything that would impact our overseas exports, and we'll be looking at that and making the appropriate communications. Coming up, find out how a group of Mississippi teens are honoring the legacy of Martin Luther King 50 years later. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next Fresh Air, Madeline Albright talks about her book, Fascism, A Warning. She writes, Some may view this book and its title as alarmist. Good. We should be awake to the assault on democratic values that has gathered strength in many countries and is dividing America. Albright was the first woman secretary of state. She was appointed by President Clinton. Join us. Today at 3 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Six teenagers are walking 50 miles from North Mississippi into Memphis as a tribute to Martin Luther King Jr. on the 50th anniversary of his assassination. The six participants are students in middle school, high school, and college. Benjamin Rutledge, a senior at Pearl High School, is one of the students marching. Jarvis Ward of youth organization the Pearson Foundation is one of the two mentors walking alongside them. We caught up with them when they were about 40 miles into the journey. Ward tells us how the trip came about we typically do the guys with venture on a spring break getaway uh, but when we were in north mississippi last year and we went over to the national civil rights museum and, and i remembered that oh it's 50 years next year for the dr king's uh, assassination commemoration and as i rather than going to the mountains or to the beach let me challenge these guys to go on an educational a cultural and a spiritual journey of 50 miles representing 50 years and that's how it all came together over the last year and you have high schoolers and middle schoolers? That is correct, and one, uh, one college student from Jackson State. What have you taught the students about Dr. King that perhaps they didn't know? Because young people may not know as much as, you know, those of us who, who've been around for a while. Karen, I'm finding that there's a lot that the uh, students don't know about Dr. King. Uh, it's, uh, it's surprising. I think in a lot of ways... Uh, they're so far removed and also depending on the schools that they're a part of, where they come from, not trying to get everything crammed into a, maybe a black history month. Uh, I think there are a lot of our students, uh, their, their learning curve for Dr. King has just you know, exploded, accelerated, understanding that some of the context that uh, Dr. King and others and myself grew up in. I was four years old about to turn five when he was assassinated in Memphis. I remember it very vividly when my uh, mom and dad driving home, and I'm in the car, a little four-year-old, and their whole demeanor, expression, like utter horror, changed. And my mom almost gasping, and 
uh, for the radio announcer saying that Dr. King had been killed in Memphis. And, and it stuck with me so because I've never seen my parents like that. So those are images that I, I have. They don't have as many of those. They don't understand the context. And so we're trying to help them with some of the, the past and what it means for the president, what their generation can do. And that's why I'm so encouraged that these guys were, you know, courageous enough. We're willing to explore, do something they've never done before. I've never done before, 50 miles, and to learn and to be a part of maybe in, in influencing their generation to continue, because there have been some advancements, to continue racial and economic justice, reconciliation, and peace uh, in America and beyond. Jarvis, what kind of reception have you been getting as you walk along all these miles? Oh, well, you know, it has been incredibly encouraging. People are looking for some positive stuff, honestly. I believe that's it. In terms of alliance and best timing, this has been perhaps in the, the sovereign workings of our God, just a great opportunity. We're not marching in, uh, in anger and protest. We're marching in honor and hope of this, uh, this vision and legacy of Dr. King, what he, what he extracted from the, the Bible and, and wanted to live out and encourage others to live out. And so these guys uh, marching with the 50 miles for 50 years, uh, signs, uh, the horns, the people waving. And I think it's kind of got kept the guys moving, too, because they know that they're, people are encouraging them. People are, are supporting them in this effort. Where is the finish line? The finish line will be on Wednesday morning, on Wednesday afternoon, actually, at the National Civil Rights Museum. We'll end our 49-mile piece at the ASME headquarters. The two sanitation workers that were killed February 1st and 68th uh, were from that union. And so, and that's also where the march on Wednesday, the citywide march for Memphis, is going to take place. We'll join them on Wednesday morning for their march. We'll walk a mile, I think it's a mile and a quarter. And then at around noon, we will walk from Mason Temple, where the Dr. King gave his mountaintop speech the night before he was assassinated. And we'll end up at the National Civil Rights Museum at around 1.30. And we'll spend the rest of the day there, hanging out. There are a lot of dignitaries and other folks coming in and speeches and all of that. Go let the guys... Enjoy, relax, eat, uh, you know, all the social media stuff. How are you getting back home? You're not walking, <laughs> are you? <laughs> no, we're gonna we're gonna get in that van <laughs> <laughs> and put your feet up. Sure. I have no doubt. If I can, may I speak with Benjamin now? Hello, how are you? Nice to speak with you. What inspired you to take this to get on this march? Um, what I mean, when I heard about the march, you know, it was a challenge. I like the idea of, you know, marching 50 miles, helping me get fit. And I wanted to become um, politically involved, you know, speaking out for righteousness and, you know, justice. Because I am very interested, in, you know, in politics and um, would like to be a political figure one day after I do the military. But I also wanted to learn about, you know, Martin Luther King and his legacy some more. What did you know about Dr. King prior to this? Did you know much? Um, yes, ma'am. I think I know a little bit more than the average because I love history and, you know, outside sources other than school. But I knew, you know, he was a you know pastor in Alabama um, and there he was thrown in jail and wrote a lot of letters that showed his faith, you know, in Christ. And that sort of influenced his passion for justice. And then, you know, later on, he was in Washington, D.C., gave his I Have a Dream speech there and helped promote legislation that, you know, changed our laws here in America and then was sadly um, assassinated in, um, you know, April, April 5th, 8, um, 1968 here in Memphis. Does it mean anything to you when you hear from people 
who, like we just heard from Mr. Ward, that he remembers as a four-year-old, he remembers distinctly when Dr. King was assassinated. Does it mean anything to you when you hear stories of people who were there, who were there with the news or who marched with Dr. King? Yes, ma'am. You know, since everything to me is second, I have to hear it from somebody else. I can't witness it with my own eyes. You know, it sort of makes me think about, you know, putting myself in their shoes. But it definitely, yeah, it's definitely good to hear from people who were right there um, when it all happened. Benjamin Rutledge is a senior at Pearl High School, and we also spoke with Jarvis Ward, who is one of the adult uh, chaperones. He's with the Pearson Foundation. Thank you so much, and and best of luck on your final leg of the trip. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. The marchers will walk the final 13 miles today, starting at the Mississippi-Tennessee state line. They will attend commemoration events in Memphis tomorrow on the actual anniversary of King's assassination. Coming up after a conversation in StoryCorps, we'll hear from the Better Business Bureau on the scam you can avoid this tax season. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. There are all kinds of cemeteries nowadays. In many cities, you'll find various more or less public cemeteries, church cemeteries, private family plots. Maybe there's a Jewish cemetery or a Catholic cemetery, not to mention various mausoleums, columbaria, crematoriums, and more. But in 1921, in Jackson, there was just the cemetery, Greenwood Cemetery to be precise. In this stop on the StoryCorps mobile tour, Bill and Cecile Wardlaw talk about that cemetery and its long, rich history. So from the very beginning, when people first started coming to Jackson, if they died, they were buried here because it was a really hard place to get to. There were no roads, the river, which was navigable only part of the year. So the pioneers who came to build a town here are buried in Greenwood Cemetery. Unfortunately, we don't know the names of most of them. A few of them we know the names, but we don't know where their graves are because if they had any marker, it was probably a wooden marker because there's no natural stone here. So those have disappeared through the years, and any written records that existed burned during the Civil War. The earliest written records we have are from 1870, and then we have more gaps because there was another fire at the city offices. So there are lots of people. We've done ground-penetrating radar and know that there are at least 330 unmarked graves just in the oldest part of the cemetery. And we know that there are other unmarked graves because families have started to bury people and have found that somebody's already buried in that spot. And frequently the family doesn't know who it is. You might want to mention, too, that since everybody who died here was buried there, unfortunately, with Mississippi's segregationist past, lots and lots of people would say, quote, all-white cemetery, which is not true. That is not true, and that's one of the things we've worked really, really hard to overcome and publicize. As Bill said, anybody who came here and died here was buried here. And even before the Civil War, the, um, the slaves would have been buried there. But they would not have had any markers because they were slaves. The oldest monument was Governor Scott, who died of cholera in 1833. Everybody left town when the cholera epidemic started, but he said, no, the people of the state have elected me to be governor, and I'm going to stay here and serve the people. And so he worked at his office until 6 o'clock, and he was dead by midnight. 
The oldest black monument we have found is from 1865. We have matched the name tentatively with the name of a black slave who would have just been freed. We did a survey of all the African-American monuments that we could find in the cemetery, and we found 90 monuments, which is just a small percentage of the African-Americans who are buried there, but there are 90 monuments. The story of Jackson is at Greenwood Cemetery. The stories that are, are there are the stories of the beginning of town. And people today have no idea that Jackson started out just as a place in the woods. It's a story that that people don't really understand in the fact that it is black and white and Confederate and Union and rich and poor and everybody and there's no there were no sections there was no put oh put them put the poor people over here in this corner everybody just got buried i mean the first 6 acres were not even platted um there was no way to put a straight road through 20 years later cuz people had just been buried haphazardly so it was really a place where everybody came on equal ground and appreciated it for what it was And if this is not done, recording this history now and reaching out to anyone who has any information, a hundred years from now, people might have looked back and said, well, I don't understand this. And there would have been no real record to go to. I'm a big fan of the great courses. History is my big thing. And you hear so many times in listening to the courses well, we don't know about this, or we don't know about that. Such and such was destroyed, or we just people just didn't tell about this. And so you go back and you can't piece together history. So it's like what you're doing with these recordings, you know. Hopefully somebody who's interested in the future can look back and make sense out of what really went on. Actually get the truth out of it, too. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians are reporting scammers' attempts to steal private information this tax season. The deadline to file tax returns is Tuesday, April 17th. But with many people already filing, scammers have been on the prowl. Some criminals have stolen taxpayers' identities by filing returns on their behalf and keeping the money for themselves. John O'Hara is president and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of Mississippi. He tells MPB's Ezra Wall what he's seen across the state this year. You know, first of all, this time of year, the biggest thing that we've been having here in Mississippi, and I've received at least uh, over a dozen calls in the last two weeks, is people calling, saying they're part of the IRS, and they're calling me, telling me they're going to put me in jail, and there was a problem with my return, and they're asking me personal uh, information. Uh, You know, they're asking me my Social Security number, they're asking me... Uh, my address, my name. Of course, uh, I know enough not to give that information, but sometimes people just request that information. They don't even verify who they're talking to, and they give that information away. So the phone, the IRS will never use the phone to make an initial contact with you. 
if they need to speak with you on a matter of your tax return, they will send you something U.S. mail, and they will give you a phone number to call back uh, so that you can reach someone. So that's the first thing people need to look at. Another thing is people with computers filing their taxes. Sometimes I see this if I'm out in a retail place or a place that maybe serves coffee or food. There's people that are filing their tax returns. Uh, you know, they're doing their taxes in a public place or a library that is not a secure uh, Wi-Fi network. And there's people there that will steal your identity uh, while you're doing that. So you really need to make sure that when you're filing your taxes online, that you are doing it through a secure Wi-Fi so that people cannot just hack into that. So, so those are two ways right now that people should be, be careful. What should people do if they feel like something nefarious is going on? Well, if you feel that you know it, you know someone has filed a tax return under your name, uh, you would really want to get in touch with uh, local law enforcement. You would want to contact the IRS directly on that. You would want to contact Social Security and put a freeze on your uh, Social Security number so that people don't open up lines of credit, take out loans under your information. But, uh, you know, we have all those resources here. So if people aren't quite sure and they want to know who the, where the business is or how the business stands, you can contact us first and we can step you through the steps that need to take. And, uh, you know, identity theft is is on the rise, especially with tax returns. Last year, you know, we had a big Equifax breach that had happened where people had stolen uh, the identities of over a million people here in Mississippi could have been affected, and people had enough information to file tax returns on those people because they did have their date of birth, their Social Security. Uh, they had their information uh, to go ahead and, and possibly file a tax return on your behalf. Are tax preparation offices part of your network as well? Yes, we do. And we have a Better Business Bureau app where people can see if a business is an accredited business. Uh, they can even see what our rating is if they're not accredited uh, or if there's any complaints against that business. You can go to our website at bbb.org. You can also call us if you uh, can't find a particular tax uh, preparer that you want to get information on. Because every year we've had problems through the state of Mississippi where there are these pop-up tax places that people go into and they give all their tax information away. And then after tax season, we start getting phone calls where people are looking for their return, they're looking for their tax preparer, and we find out that they may have done a short-term lease on a retail space somewhere uh, not only did they not file your tax return, or they did and they got your return back, but they also have your financial information that you turned over. So people should do that homework up front. That's good advice from John O'Hara at the Better Business Bureau of Mississippi. John, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. Thank you for letting us on. For more information, visit the Better Business Bureau at bbb.org slash Mississippi. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. 
Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10 o'clock, in legal terms. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. MPB Radio Reading Service provides blind Mississippians like me with access to news, books, and sale info that helps me save money. That's my MPB story. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu.